0: The Legacy, Chapter 8 Sparks A Flyin'. Beads of glistening sweat rolled along the barbarian's sculpted arms. Shadows of the flickering hearth threw definitive lines along his biceps and thick forearms, accentuating the enormous corded muscles. With astounding ease, as though he were swinging a tool made for slender nails, Wolfgar brought a 20 pound sledge down repeatedly on a metal shaft. Bits of molten iron flew with every ringing hit and spattered the walls and floor and the thick leather apron he wore, for the barbarian had carelessly overheated the metal. Blood surged in Wolfgar's great shoulders, but he did not blink and did not tire. He was driven by the certainty that he had to work out the demon emotions that had grabbed his heart. He would find solace in exhaustion. Wolfgar had not worked the forge in years Not since Brunner had released him from servitude back in Icewind Dale, a place, a life, that seemed a million miles removed. Wolfgarden needed the iron now, needed the unthinking, instinctual pounding, the physical duress to overrule the confusing jumble of emotions that would not let him rest. The rhythmic banging forced his thoughts into a straight-line pattern. He allowed himself to consider only a single complete thought between each interrupting bang. He wanted to resolve so many things this day, mostly to remind himself of those qualities that initially had drawn him to his soon to be bride. At each interval, though, the same image flashed to him, Aegis Fang twirling dangerously close to Drizzt's head. He had tried to kill his dearest friend. With a sudden renewed vigor, he sent the sledge pounding home on the metal and again sent lines of sparks flying throughout the small private chamber. What in the Nine Hells was happening to him? Again, the sparks flew wildly. How many times had Drizztuarden saved him? How empty would his life have been without his ebon-skinned friend? He grunted, and the hammer hit home. But the drow had kissed Caterbury, Wolfgar's Caterbury, outside Mithril Hall on the day of his return. Wolfgar's breathing came in labored gasps, but his arm pumped fiercely playing his fury through the smithy hammer. His eyes were closed as tightly as the hand that clenched the hammer. His muscles swelled with the strain. That one for throwing around corners? He heard a dwarf voice ask. Wolfgar's eyes popped open, and he spun about to see one of Brunner's kinfolk shuffling past the partly open doorway, the dwarf's laughter echoing as he made his way along the stoneworked corridor. When the barbarian looked back to his work, He noticed the dwarf's mirth, for the metal spear he had been shaping was now badly bowed in the middle from two hard slams on the overheated metal. Wolfgar tossed the ruined shaft aside and let the hammer drop to the stone floor. Why did you do it to me? He asked aloud, though, of course, Drizzt was too far away to hear him. His mind held a conjured image of Drizzt and his beloved Caterbury embraced in a deep kiss, an image the beleaguered Wolfgar could not let go even though he had not actually seen the two in the act. He wiped a hand across his sweaty brow, leaving a line of soot on his forehead, and slumped to a seat on the edge of the stone table. He hadn't expected things to become this complicated, hadn't anticipated Caterbury's outrageous behavior. He thought of the first time he'd seen his love, when she was barely more than a girl, skipping along the tunnels of the Dwarven Complex in Icewind Dale carelessly skipping, as though all the ever-present dangers of that harsh region, and all the memories of the recent war against Wolfgar's people, simply fell away from her delicate shoulders, bounced off her as surely as did her lustrous auburn tresses. It didn't take Wolfgar long to understand that Caterbury had captured his heart with that carefree dance. He'd never met a woman like her. In his male-dominated tribe, women were virtually slaves, cowering to the often unreasonable demands of the menfolk. Barbarian women did not dare to question their men, certainly did not embarrass them, as Caterbury had done to Wolfgar when he had insisted that she not accompany the force sent to parley with the goblin tribe. Wolfgar was wise enough now to admit his own shortcomings, and he felt a fool for the way he had spoken to Caterbury. Still, there remained in the barbarian a need for a woman, a wife that he could protect, a wife that would allow him his rightful place as a man. Things had become so very complicated, and then, just to make matters worse, Caterbury, his Caterbury, had shared a kiss with Drizztu Arden. Wolfgar bounced up from his seat and rushed to retrieve the hammer, knowing that he would spend many more hours at the forge, many more hours transferring that rage from his knotted muscles to the metal. "'for the metal had yielded to him, as Caterbury would not, "'had complied to the undeniable call of his heavy hammer. "'Wolfgar sent the hammer down with all of his might, "'and a newly heated metal bar shuddered with the impact. "'Pong!' "'Sparks whipped across Wolfgar's high cheekbones, "'one nipping at the edge of his eyes. "'Blood surging, muscles corded. "'Wolfgar felt no pain. "'Put up the torch!' the drow whispered. Light will alert our enemies. Regis argued in similarly hushed tones. They heard a growl low and echoing down the corridor. The torch, Drizd instructed, handing Regis a small tinderbox. Wait here with the light. Gwenhyver and I will circle about. Now I'm bait? the halfling asked. Drizd, his senses tuned outward for signs of danger, did not hear the question. One scimitar drawn, Twinkle at its telltale glow waiting poised in its sheath, he slipped silently ahead and disappeared into the gloom. Regis, still grumbling, struck flint to steel and soon had the torch blazing. Drizd was out of sight. A growl spun the halfling about, mace at the ready, but it was only Gwenhiver, ever alert, doubling back down a side passage. The panther padded past the halfling, following Drizzt's course and Regis quickly shuffled behind, though he could not hope to keep pace with the beast. He was alone again in seconds, his torch casting elongated ominous shadows along the uneven walls. His back to the stone, Regis inched on, as quiet as death. The black mouth on a side passage loomed just a few feet away. The halfling continued walking, holding the torch straight out behind him, his mace leading the way. He sensed a presence around that corner, something inching up to the edge at him from the other direction. Regis carefully laid the torch on the stone and brought his mace in close to his chest, gently sliding his feet to perfectly balance his weight. He went around the corner in a blinding rush, chomping with the mace. Something blue flashed to intercept. There came a ring of metal on metal. Regis instantly brought his weapon back and sent it whipping in sidelong, lower. Again came the distinctive ring of a parry. Out came the mace, and back in, deftly along the same course. The halfling's skilled adversary was not fooled, though, and the blocking blade was still in place. "'Regis!' The mace twirled above the halfling's head, ready to dart ahead. But Regis swung it down at arm's length instead, suddenly recognizing the voice. "'I told you to remain back there with the light!' Drizzt scolded him, stepping out of the shadow. "'You are very fortunate I did not kill you. Or that I did not kill you!' Regis replied, without missing a beat, and his calm, cold tone made Driz's face contort with surprise. Have you found anything? the halfling asked. Drizzt shook his head. We are close, he replied quietly. Both Gwenhyver and I are certain of that. Regis walked over and picked up his torch, then tucked his mace into his belt, within easy reach. Gwenhyver's sudden growl echoed at them from farther down the long corridor, launching them both into a run. Don't leave me behind, Regis demanded, and he grabbed hold of Driz's cloak and would not let go, his furry feet skipping, jumping, even skidding along as he tried to keep pace. Driz slowed when Gwenhyver's yellow-green glassy eyes reflected back at him from just beyond the leading edge of the torchlight, at a corner where the passageway turned sharply. I think we found the dwarves, Regis muttered grimly. He handed Drizzt a torch and let go of the cloak, following the drow up to the bend. Drizzt peeked around. Regis saw him wince, then brought the torch into the open, casting light on the dreadful scene. They had indeed found the missing dwarves, sliced and slaughtered, some lying, some propped up against the walls at irregular intervals along a short expanse of work stone corridor. If you're not for wearing the apron, then don't you be wearing it, Bruner said in frustration. Caterbury nodded, finally hearing the concession she had wanted from the beginning. But me king, protested Cobble, the only other one in the private chamber with Bruner and Caterbury. Both he and Bruner sported severe holy water headaches. Bah! The dwarf king snorted to silence the good intentioned cleric. You're not knowing me girl as well as meself. If she's saying she won't be wearing it, then all the giants of the spine of the world couldn't be changing her mind. By yourself, came an unexpected call from outside the room, followed by a tremendous lock. I know you're in there,
1: Bruner Battlehammer, who calls himself King of Mithril Hall. Now be opening your door and meet your better.
0: "'Do you know that voice?' asked Cobble. He and Bruner exchanged confused glances. "'Open it, says me!' came another cry, followed by a sharp rap. Wood splintered as a glove nail, a large spike set into the face of a specially constructed metal gauntlet wedged itself through the thick door. Oh, "'Sandstone!' came a quieter call. Bruner and Cobble looked to each other in disbelief. "'No!' they said in unison, wagging their heads back and forth. "'What is it?' Caterbury asked, growing impatient. "'It cannot be,' Cobble replied, and it seemed to the young woman that he hoped with all his heart that his words were true. "'What is it?' Caterbury demanded of her father, her hands planted squarely on her hips. The door burst open, and there stood the most curious-looking dwarf Caterbury had ever seen. He wore a spiked steel gauntlet, open-fingered, on each hand, had similar spikes protruding from his elbows, knees, and the toes of his heavy boots, and wore armor, custom-fitted to his short, barrel-like form, of parallel, horizontal metal ridges half an inch apart and wringing his body from neck to mid-thigh and his arms from shoulder to forearm. His gray helmet was open-faced, with thick leather straps disappearing under his monstrous black beard, and sported a gleaming spike atop it, nearly half again as tall as the four-foot-high dwarf. "'It,' Brunner answered, his tone reflecting his obvious disdain, "'is a battle ranger. Not just a battle ranger,'
1: the curious, black-bearded dwarf put in. "'The
0: battle ranger. The most wild battle ranger.' He walked toward Caterbury and smiled widely, with his hand extended toward her. His armor, with every movement, issued grating, scraping noises that made the young woman's hair stand straight up on the back of her neck. dwarf
1: point at your service, me good lady,' the dwarf introduced himself grandly. "'First fighter of Mithril Hall. Yourself must be this catterbury. I've heard so much tell of back in Adbar.' Bruner's human daughter, so they killed me, though still I'm a bit shaken at seeing any battlehammer woman without a beard
0: to tickle her toes. The smell of the creature nearly overwhelmed Caterbury. Had he taken that armor off any time this century? She had to wonder. I'll try to grow one, she promised. See that you do, see that you do. Thibeldorf hooted and hopped over to stand before Bruner, the noise of his armor scraping at the marrow of Catterby's bones. Me king, Thibeldorf bellowed. He fell to a bow and nearly halved Bruner's long, pointy nose with his helmet spike as he did. What in the nine hells is yourself doing here? Bruner demanded. Alive, anyway, Cobble added. Then he returned Bruner's incredulous stare with a helpless shrug. It was me belief that ye fell when the dragon Shimmergloom took the lower halls. Bruner went on. His breath was death. Thibaldorf shouted, "Look who's talking!" Catterbury thought, but she kept silent. Pwent roared on, dramatically waving his arms about and turning a spin on the floor. His eyes staring at nothing in particular, as though he was recalling a scene from his distant past. Evil breath. A deep blackness that fell over me and
1: stole the strength from me bones. But I got out
0: and got away, Thibbledorf cried suddenly, spinning at Catterbury, one stubby finger pointing away. Out a secret door in the
1: lower tunnels. Even the likes of that dragon couldn't stop the point.
0: We held the halls for two more days afore Shimmergloom's minions drove us into Keeper's Dale. "'Runer put in. "'I heard no words o' your return to fight beside me father, "'and his father, the then
1: king of Mithril Hall. "'It was a ten day afore I got me strength back "'and got back around the mountain passes to the western door,' Point explained. "'But then the halls were lost.
0: "'Some time later,' Point continued, "'parting his impossibly thick beard with one of his glove-nails.' I hear that a bunch of the
1: younger folk, yourself included, had gone to the west. Some say you went to work the mines of Mirabar, but when I got there,
0: I heard not a word. Two hundred years, Brunner growled in Quint's face, stealing his seemly perpetual smile. You had two hundred years to find us, but not once did we hear a
1: word that you was even alive. I came back to the east, Puente explained easily. Been living, living well, doing mercenary work mostly in Sundabar and forking Harbrum of Sittrandbar. It was back there three ten days past. I'd been off to the south for some time, you see, that I first heard your return that a battle hammer had taken back the halls. "'So here I be, me king,'
0: he said, dipping to one knee. "'Point me at your enemies!' He gave Catterby a garish wink and poked a dirty, stubby finger toward the tip of his spiked helmet. "'Most wild?' Bruner asked, somewhat derisively. "'Always been,' Thibaldorf replied. "'I'll call you an escort,' Bruner said, "'so you can get yourself a bath and a meal.'
1: Aye, I'll take the meal, Quint replied. Keep your bath and your escort. I know me way around these old holes as well as yourself, Bruner Battlehammer. Better, I say,
0: since ye was but a stubble chinned dwarfling when I was pushed out. He put his hand out to pinch Brunner's chin and had it promptly slapped away. His shrieking laughter like a hawk's cry, his armor squealing like talons on slate, the battle ragers stomped away. "'Pleasant sort,' Caterbury remarked. Point alive!' Cobble mused, and Caterbury could not tell if that was good news or not. "'You've never once mentioned that one,' Caterbury said to Bruner. "'Trust me, girl,' Bruner replied. "'That one's not worth mentioning.' Exhausted, the barbarian fell onto his cot and sought some needed sleep. He felt the dream returning before he'd even closed his eyes. He bolted upright, not wanting to see again the images of his category entwined with the likes of Drizztuardin. They came to him anyway. He saw a thousand thousand sparkles, a million reflected fires spiraling downward, inviting him along. Wolfgar growled defiantly and tried to stand. It took him several moments to realize that the attempt had been futile, that he was still on his cot, and that he was descending, following the undeniable trail of glittering sparkles down to the images.